Thank you. And good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you here, and um, it's a great privilege for me to be here today. Thank you, Pam, for inviting us to come. And um, look, I you have such a fantastic church. That worship was awesome, wasn't it? Can we thank the worship team? They just led us so beautifully. And that was just amazing. And, you know, I, I include in that worship team the sound guys up the back there and the words people and so on as well, because it, it's all a, a team that works together to lead us into the presence of God in worship. And it was beautiful this morning. So thank you. And I feel very comfortable here because um, in two weeks' time, I will be celebrating my 19 years of living in Newcastle. And... Um, I first came here in, uh, and was involved in teaching at St Philip's Christian College as the chaplain there, so I know many, many faces here in the crowd, and um, so it makes me feel very much at home and very comfortable, but in some ways I feel a bit uncomfortable as well, because I've got to tell you, I'm seeing out there some of my ex-students, and uh, some of them spend a fair bit of time in my office and gave me a fair bit of curry you know, but that's all right because I gave a fair bit back. So we just consider that even this morning, okay? That's a zero balance. So, um, but it is it is great to be here, and it is wonderful to be in God's presence in church. And I want to talk today about I will build my church. The words of Jesus to uh, Peter, one of his followers, one of his disciples. Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church. And it was just after Peter had said to Jesus something quite remarkable. Because Jesus said, who, who do people say that I am? And some said one thing and some another. And Peter said, you are the son of God, the, the Messiah, the one that Israel had been waiting for, the saviour. And then Jesus said to Peter, Peter, God has revealed this to you and you are a rock and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, some denominations in our world today take that to mean that Peter was the beginning of a long line of people who would be the, the leaders of the church. But my understanding is that when Peter confessed who Jesus was, when he had that real understanding that Jesus was actually God, that he was the son of God and that he was the long-awaited saviour of the world, that was the rock on which Jesus was going to build his church, the confession of who he is in the world. And the funny thing is this, a few verses later, Jesus, not not a few verses later, sorry, a, a little while later, when he was about to go up into heaven after he died and rose again, Jesus gave his disciples a commission. It's called the Great Commission. It'll come up on screen now. And he said, he basically said to them, look, I know I told you that I will build my church, but guess what, guys? You are going to build my church. I'm going to build it through you. I'm going to build it through my followers. Because this is what he said. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And look, I'll be with you. I'll, I'll come with you. I'll be involved with you in this. But I'm actually delegating 
this job of building the church to you. And Jesus set these few followers an incredible task because there was no church at that time. Today, there are over 2 billion people in the world who would say that they are a part of the Christian church. But back then, there might have been 100. There might have been, you know, there, there were just a few followers of Jesus who would, would have been considered as a part of the church. Now, to sort of um, to go on with this, let's go to the next slide. I, I've got to tell you a story. I'm from, um, I love this this joke, by the way, that's up here. Are there any Gary Larson fans out there? Yeah, the, the far side. So School for the Gifted. And this is one of the big jokes in my family because um, here we have this young man who is going to the Midvale School for the Gifted. And obviously the big sign on the door says, Paul and he's pushing with all his might and wondering why he's not getting anywhere. And um, in my family, that's a little saying that we have when you do something stupid. You know, like, have you ever been walking along and then the kids have um, taken your attention away or something and then you turn around and bang, you walk into a post or something like that? School for the gifted. That's what we say. We go, ah, school for the gifted. You know, just when you do something stupid, that's our little joke. It's our little saying. It's our little way of making light of it. And it's funny because, um, Pam, can you talk about toilets in this church? Okay, good. Because I was in your toilets just before the service and I noticed that all the doors open inwards. And um, that's pretty normal in, you know, places like this. And so I was thinking back, it was only a couple of months ago that, well, about 12 weeks ago now that the Granary Church moved into its new building. And it was really different because all their toilet doors, in the men's anyway, I haven't been in the ladies, I'll put my hand up here. But, um, you know, the, the men's, they open outwards like this. And one day, after we'd only been in there about a week and I was in the standing room only, part of the men's uh, toilet. And I heard this guy come in behind me and I heard him sort of trying each door and it sort of went bang, bang, bang. There's about six cubicles. And he came back and as he went past, he said, mate, you wouldn't think that all of those toilets were full at this time of the day, would you? (laughs) And I said, did you try pulling? Oh, School for the gifted, right there, school for the gifted. And that's a true story, I didn't make that one up. Um, but, you know, here's an amazing thing. What, what I'm, when I'm talking here about giftedness, and we're going to see how this fits a bit later, and when we're talking about, I will build my church, when it comes to the idea of giftedness, there's something that really gets me angry and gets up my nose. And it's when, and look, like I said, I've been in education for a long time and in schooling, but it's when a school sets up a class and calls it the gifted and talented class, okay? Now, it's not the fact of doing that, it's the fact of naming them that. Because if you have got a class of kids that are gifted and talented, and they're in the gifted and talented class, were any of you in gifted and talented? Oh. Yes, that's right. You know what? When you call them the gifted and talented kids, what does that mean about everyone else? They're not gifted and talented. They've got no gifts and they've got no talent. So except for one person. <laughs> oh. No, but, but I, like I said, that really gets up my nose because here's what I believe. 
I believe that every person in here is gifted and talented. I believe that when you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, he not only brings the presence of God, the presence of Jesus into your life, but he, but he brings spiritual gifts as well. And we're going to talk about them a bit later. But also he made every single person in this room with natural talents. You were born with talents that make you unique and different from everybody else. And you have a contribution to make to God's plan to build his church that no one else can make, only you can make it. You know, I've brought a friend with me today. This is Troy. Do you want to say good day to Troy? Troy gave his life to Jesus about eight weeks ago in the, in the Granary Church. And he, he rings me up during the week and he says, I can't wait for Sunday. What are we doing this Sunday, Paul? And, you know, we, we talk about it and so on. But I know that God has got a hold on Troy because he, is, he has gifts and he has talents and he has a, a special plan for Troy's life to become a part of this great vision, this great task that God has given to his people to build the church and to make a difference in this world. And so it's lovely to have someone along like Troy, who is my partner in that. But let's start today by diving into some Old Testament scriptures. So let's have a little look at the story of Moses from uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 18. Now, Moses was an interesting guy. He, I think most of us know the story of Moses. His mum put him in a basket in the bulrushes. He was adopted by the princess of Egypt. And he was raised in some of the best schools of the whole ancient world. Egypt was one of the most advanced civilizations of its day. And Moses was in the best school in one of the most advanced civilizations in the, in the known world back then. So he was raised, according to the Bible, in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He uh, had the best education, the best schooling that money could buy, and so on. But we all know the story that God called him to take God's people out of bondage. Uh, they, were, they were slaves in Egypt. And God said to Moses, I want you to do these certain things and, and you will lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses, God chose Moses to do miracles. He had done miracles. He had done amazing act, uh, power encounters between the people of God, the children of Israel and the nation of Egypt. He'd seen them come through the Red Sea and uh, you know his faith to hold that staff up and part the Red Sea. He had seen the most amazing things happen, plagues upon the house of Egypt. And uh, Moses, so he was an intelligent man. He was a powerful man. He was a man who God had used mightily. And where we take up his story, he has led the people out of Egypt, 600,000 men, according to the scripture. 600,000. That's a significant lot of men, isn't it? Plus the women and the children, a couple of million. But 600,000 men, 600, you know there are 600,000 people living in the greater Hunter region? 600,000 people. That's how many people he was leading. And that's how many people he was seeking to build into a nation of God. A nation of God. 
And they got into the desert, they got through the Red Sea, and then this is what happened. Let's, uh, let me read it to you. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as a judge for the people. He was the leader and he was also their judge. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, Now, Moses' father-in-law is called Jethro, and he is called in the Bible the priest of Midian. Now, Midian um, is either in the Sinai Peninsula as we know it today or um, northwestern Saudi Arabia around the uh, Red Sea there. And he was a priest of Midian. He was actually a nomadic Bedouin who lived in the desert and I, I don't know about you, but let me, let me show you. Actually, can we go to the next slide just for one minute? I'll show you this picture. Back in the 1980s, my wife and I got to travel around the Middle East. And one of the things we did was we went in this four-wheel drive here with its bonnet up in the middle of the Sinai Desert. We travelled around the Sinai Desert in this four-wheel drive and we were heading for Mount Sinai. And the amazing thing was most of it was just rocky, deserty ground like it is up there. But every now and again, you would come around a corner and there would be this beautiful oasis. There would be water and there would be palm trees and there would be huts um, and sheep and goats and things and a bunch of men sitting around a fire um, and, you know, women doing the work. Nothing's changed much, has it? The men sit around the fire and the women do the work. But, you know, these oases, there would be no more than, say, 100 people because it couldn't support more than that. So this guy Jethro, he was what I'm going to call small church guy, small church guy. His flock was about 100 people. They're they're the ones that he cared for and looked after. He was the head of that group. But Moses was big church guy. Moses was big church guy, 600,000 men, plus all the women and children. Let's go back to that um, scripture now. So Jethro, small church guy, comes to Moses, big church guy, and he says, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Now look, when someone's a judge, what are they doing? Well, people are bringing their grievances and their complaints to be solved by the judge. So Moses would sit there all day with a long line of people who had were there to have a whinge and, and complain. And some of them, I'm sure, were valid complaints. They had, you know, maybe complaints about their neighbour. Maybe the coffee wasn't as good as it used to be who knows what kind of complaints do we have in modern day take it back there but they were there with their complaints and he had this long line of people and he just could not um, get to the end of it he just couldn't get to the end of it and his father said his father-in-law said why do you sit as judge alone while all these people stand around from morning till evening in other words all these guys are doing nothing and you're doing all this work Something's got to change here. So we'll go to the next slide. Uh, Actually, let's go two slides on. And Moses said to him, because all the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. This is before the giving of the law, before Mount Sinai. But Moses was a man who walked with God 
And he would make decisions, make all these judgments. Why? He said, why did he say? He said, because there's a need. Because there's a need. The people have a need. They need me. And so I'm the answer to their problems. Do you think the 600,000 people in the Hunter have a need? Do you think they have needs? Do you think when Troy came to Jesus, he had needs? Do you think I have needs? We all do. We all have needs. And especially the world out there, there's a lost world out there that has huge needs. And I want you to imagine something for a minute with me. Imagine for a minute that this church actually had the answer to those people's needs. That the answer was right here with us, the Christian community, not just your church, but our church and the other Bible-believing, Jesus-confessing, Holy Spirit-receiving churches of the hunter. We've got the answer. We can meet their needs. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. There are 600,000 people in the hunter, just like the men here of Israel. And I wonder, for you here today, what is your view of the church? What's your view of church? This church that Jesus said, I will build my church. What's your view of the church? Because do you think that Pam, as one of the leaders of this church has got the answer. And so Pam could <laughs> Pam could sit up here every day Sunday through Sunday right through Saturday. And when it came to Sunday morning, Pam would get up at 2 a.m. She probably already gets up at 3 a.m. But she'd get up at 2 a.m. And she'd come down here and she'd start getting the coffee ready. She'd clean the auditorium. She'd set up the sound gear. She would set the stage up ready with her piano there to play. And then she would get out into the car park with a yellow vest on, a fluoro vest. And she would welcome people as they arrived and help them to park their cars. And then, as they did, she'd run to the doors back here and welcome people. And then she'd come inside and sell Salvation Army caps and T-shirts and stuff like that. And then um, it's time for church to begin. So she stands on the door and welcomes you as you come in, shakes your hand. And then Pam runs up to the front here, jumps on the keyboard and says, Righto, we're going to worship now. Wait, hang on, I forgot to turn the sound system on. So she runs up the back, gets the sound system ready, comes back, leads worship, and it's awesome, just fantastic worship. Then she um, runs up the back and gets communion. She cut it up at 2.30 in the morning, cut the communion up, you know. And then she serves communion, comes up, preaches a message. While she's giving the benediction, she runs up to the back so that she can shake all your hands on the way out, and then she cleans the building. What do you call that church? A small, a small church. You call that a small church. That would have to be a church no bigger than about 30 people, you know, because one person just can't do it. That's not the church. That's not what it's like. 
That's not what it means to be church. We are the church. The church is the people. It's not something we come to and we're spectators at. It's something that we have all been uh, given gifts and talents so that we can contribute to the building of a strong church so that we can be a blessing to and reach the 600,000 people of this city. Do you believe that or not? Do you believe it? Yes, I believe it. God loves this city and wants the people of this city to come to know him. But if he sent any more than this, Pam would have a nervous breakdown. Ian would have a nervous breakdown. Those, you know, the leaders of the church would be going bananas because they can't, they just can't do it. The church has got to be a team. I love what you have up there all in. I love it because that's what I want to talk about today. All in. We're all in this together. We are all the church. We're all in it. So let's have a little look at what um, Jethro said to Moses. Let's keep going here in the Old Testament. So this is what Jethro said. What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. That's what I was talking about just then. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. So here's his advice. This is what he says to Moses. Now remember, little church guy here is giving big church guy some advice. Little Jethro who hasn't performed any miracles, hasn't led the people out of Egypt, hasn't been to school because he, he grew up in the desert. He says, I'm going to teach you how to, how to do this, Moses, how to look after these 600,000 men and the 2 million people altogether. This is what he says. I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Pray for your people. If you're a leader of this church, you pray for your people. You, and, and you say to them, guys, bring your, bring your disputes to God. Pray, ask him. He's the one who can, who can help you. Who the, you know, he'll, he'll get the Holy Spirit on the job, sorting the things out that are going on in your life. Bring the people to God. Teach them his decrees and instructions. So teach them the word of God. Help them to grow strong in their faith, strong in their knowledge of who God is and what he wants and how to live for his glory. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live. Role modeling, showing the way that people are to live. A faith-filled um, a faith-filled life that just continually gives to God the problems and the challenges and the burdens. Do that and, and, and is that all? No, that's the pastoral task. That's what a pastor does. They care for their people. They pray for them. They teach them the word of God. But if we want to truly, church, if we want to truly reach the lost people of this city and this region, there's more. Let's see what he said next. He said, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. 
have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people, all these people, all 600,000 of them plus the rest, all these people will go home satisfied. Do we want people to come to church and go home satisfied? To go home knowing that their life has changed, that they've been built up in their spirit, they've come to know Jesus. And listen to this, because the Bible says that Moses was the most humble man who ever walked on the face of the earth. Who is this father-in-law from the bush, from little church, who is trying to tell him how to how to run a big church and how to, you know, how to do things. But it says Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. See, we don't only need pastoring. We need good leadership as a church. And good leadership is not what I described to you before of Pam running around, you know, doing all that. Good leadership is appointing leaders of 10, 50, 100, 1,000. And they are doing the work of ministry. They're the ones leading different ministries, leading home groups, leading, you know, the sound, leading the worship team and so on. We need people who are not only going to lead those things, but step up and be a part of it. If you're sitting there today with a gift or a talent, or if you don't even know what your gifts and talents are, you've got to start right there. God, show me what can I do? Because you know what? It doesn't take too much to shake people's hand as they come in. It doesn't take too much to direct people into the car park. It doesn't take too much to make pancakes and whatever else we had, sausage sandwiches, Troy, bacon. (laughs) It doesn't take a whole lot, but you know what? When you put all that together, this is what I see. When I get here at nine o'clock and church starts at 9.30, I see the car park half full already and I'm going, wow, who are all these people? What are they doing here? Well, they're the leaders of 10. They're the leaders of 50. They're the leaders of 100, leaders of 1,000. They're people who are willing to stand up and say, I'm going to be the church because if an unbeliever pulls into that car park, I want them to feel welcome right from the get-go. If an unbeliever walks in those doors, I don't want them to feel, you know, what is this place? I want someone to just go up and shake their hand. When an unbeliever comes in here, I want them to sense the presence of God in the worship because there's not only a a beautifully led worship, but there's a lot of people with hearts that just want to worship God. That's leadership. We need good pastoral work, small groups, connect pastors, whatever, looking after their flock, caring for each other, teaching them to pray, teaching the word of God, but we need good leadership as well. And good leadership means you, not just Pam, not just the leaders or the elders of the church, but all of us. So let's get back to the gifted now. Here we go, next slide. So to each one of us, According to the book of Ephesians, grace has been given as Christ has given it. So when Jesus ascended, he took many captives. That's a message for another day. And he gave gifts to his people. He gave gifts to his people. You know, no, not some of you. You're like, I don't care where you're from today. I don't care whether you become a Christian last week or 
you know, you were born into a Christian family and you've always walked with Jesus, it doesn't matter. Because when you come to know God, he gives you gifts and talents that you can use in the service of building his church. The task that he has given to to his followers, to his disciples. And so let's have a little look. Let's go to the next slide. Now, there are are different gifts. Some some of them apostles, prophets, evangelists, and so on, Um, pastors and teachers that help us to grow in our faith so that um, the body of Christ may be built up, to build up the church. They're called the ministry gifts. They're, they're very special and they're very important in a church. But let's go to the next slide. But the, but the New Testament also has a whole lot of lists of gifts and talents that are, you know, that are everybody, that are for everybody, not just for leaders in the church. And let's go to the next slide. These are what some of them look like. Gifts of encouragement. You know, we're sitting in the car this morning coming here and Troy said to me, you know, I love being with you, Pastor Paul, and I love church on Sundays and I just really get so, um, you know, blessed. Um, And you know what? He was encouraging me. This guy's been a Christian for eight weeks or something, Troy, 10 maybe, I don't know. But I can see that gift of encouragement in his life. He's there encouraging me, you know. Use that gift. If you've got that gift, use it. Look at all these things. Service. The people who were cooking the bacon (laughs) out the front, you know, serving, serving. People that were out in the foyer, serving. People that were giving out communion, serving. Okay, there are so many different kinds of gifts. There are all sorts of powerful gifts about faith and prophecy and tongues and interpretation and all sorts of different gifts. And they're all needed so that the body of Christ can be healthy and strong and can be one in reaching this city and reaching the lost. Okay, let's move on a little bit. Next slide. There are also some things in the Old Testament that I reckon are gifts. So um, the Bible talks about when the temple was being built, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon the craftsmen and they were doing craft and they were um, using their, their their manual gifts of being, you know, this is, this is talking about the chippies and the plumbers and the electricians and people who have very practical gifts in that area. But it might not only be them, it might be people who can take a clothes peg and a couple of paddle pop sticks and do kids craft. That's a gift. That's a spiritual gift, but it's just a different way of working it. So let's go on to the next slide because I'm realising I've I've got to move on here. Because the Bible says there's different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working. You know, you might see these guys up here and think, I can never lead worship like them. But that's, you know, if their gift is in leadership of worship like that, maybe, maybe you like singing Kids songs. You know when was the last time I was here? When I brought my kids and my grandkids to see Colin Buchanan. Anyone brought their kids or anyone to see Colin? Oh, no, you're kidding. You've got to come and see Colin Buchanan, the most gifted Australian man in kids' ministry. He, his music is just such a blessing to kids. He's, he is amazing. But, you know, he, he, that's his way of working. It's working with kids. I don't think he leads adult worship, but he works with kids. That's his, um, his kind of working. So you don't have to think that God's going to, you know, you've got a gift at something and God's going to make you do something that you really hate. 
I could never get up on stage. That's all right. God's got another way of working for your gift. But the fact of the matter is we all have them and we all need to use them. Now, quickly moving on to the next slide. Now, what the heck is this? Body shapes. We're all aware. Men, don't laugh too hard because you're up next. But girls, pear, hourglass, apple, rectangle, guitar pick. (laughs) Guitar pick. Now... No embarrassment. We're all created with different shapes, different body shapes. Men, I told you your turn would come. Let's go to the next slide. So, X shape, A shape, O shape, V shape, I shape, T shape. I have been many of these. (laughs) And I wouldn't call it a progression. I would call it a regression, to be honest. I've moved through some of these body shapes. But each one of us, just as we've got a different body shape, we have a different spiritual shape. Next slide. You see, our spiritual shape is made up of our spiritual gifts, our heart's desires, our ability, our personality, and our experience. All of those things make up who you are. Your personality is different to the person you're married, different to the person you're sitting next to. Your abilities are different. Your experience is different. But when you put them all together, that's your shape. And your shape, you know, when God looks at you, he doesn't say, oh, yes, you've got an apple shape, so I'm going to put you into a pear ministry. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go, yes, men, you're a V shape, so I'm going to put you into a circle ministry or whatever those other ones were. He doesn't say that. He, he, wants to, he wants you to serve in the way that will fulfill your destiny, that you will get excited about, that you will think, this is great, this is what I was created for. And it might not be glamorous, it might be the cleaning the toilets ministry. I don't know. We have a lady in our church who, who says, I'll clean the toilets in between every service. It's not the only thing she does, but I tell you what, it's a great ministry. It's an awesome ministry. Won't go into it any further, but it is a good ministry. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So let's get back to it. We're going to finish up now with this. I will build my church. This is what Jesus said. Yeshua HaMashiach. Anyone want to come to Israel? My wife and I are going, hopefully, God willing, next September, you can come and learn to say Yeshua HaMashiach, like that. Jesus, the Saviour. Jesus, the Saviour. The confession of Jesus as Lord changes lives. When someone comes to have a relationship with Jesus, it brings light. It brings change in a person's life. And it does so much more than any one of us could ever do. But we as a body then have the task of discipling, of helping them to get strong so that they can go out and share with others and make a difference as well. We are the church. We are the church. It's not just the leaders. We are the church. And this morning, Jesus wants to build his church. He's looking at this with this church with a smile on his face and pleasure because there is so much potential here. But let's face it. What is the place in the world with the greatest potential that never got met? Some of you know this. What is it? Where is the place in this world of the greatest gathering of unmet potential in the graveyard thank you my friend it's in the graveyard so much potential in that graveyard 
that never got fulfilled. Let's not be a graveyard, folks. Let's be a place of life. Let's be a place where your potential is fulfilled, where you step up. And I want to say to you today that you're going to have the chance to do this. This um, meeting that's coming up on Tuesday night for you guys is the opportunity to learn a little bit more about who you are and where you can fit and how you can help to build this church that Jesus wants to build, that he has given to his disciples to build, that can impact this city and this region. Let's get a big vision. Let's dream. Let's start to dream that we can make an impact not just on the 200 or 300 or 500 that are here, but on this city Because God loves every one of the 600,000 in this region. You know, he loves them and he wants them here. But he needs a church which is fully working together, using our gifts and talents, honouring our leaders, not asking them to do it all, not asking them to do all the pastoring and all the leading, but maybe stepping up and going, I'll become a connect pastor, a cell group leader, whatever you call them. I'll I'll put my hand up and go and help the tech team up the back there because I want to learn and they will teach you and they'll bring out of you something which is a part of your destiny. You know, if you feel drawn to that, then go and offer. But you have the opportunity, church, you have the opportunity coming up this coming week and in the following months to step up. And it's, like I said, it's not about just about us. It's about a vision for this city and this region, for the 600,000 that Moses learnt to lead when he learnt to delegate and when people stepped up and said, I'll be a leader of 50, I'll be a leader of 1,000, I'll start with 10 and we'll see where God leads from there. Let's just stand up together for a sec. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity this morning, Lord, to be in your presence and to hear your word and to understand your call on our lives and the blessing that you have for us as we follow our destiny in you. Lord, thank you that our destiny is in you and thank you that each and every person in this room has gifts and heart's desires and abilities and a personality and experience which you want to use to build your church and to build the kingdom of God in this region. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of a church that wants to do that. And I pray your blessing on this church, Lord God, that you might multiply it and grow it, that people sitting here today, even now, would feel the call of God to step up, to step up and step in and become involved using who you made them to be. I pray that even now your Holy Spirit will be speaking around this place. Holy Spirit, I pray that those meetings that are coming up will be absolutely instrumental, foundational in building this church, Lord God. Grant a vision for the next stage, for the next call that you have as this great church that you have planted goes on to make a difference in this city and be even beyond this city. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.